0: The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of new media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation which is fully tax deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com.
1: Please join us now for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.
2: Welcome. Today, I'd like to talk about St. Joseph. He's not your average Joe. Now there are some average Joes out there, as you know. Hello, I'm just an average Joe. There's one right there. But not so with St. Joseph. He is not so average. He is the strong, silent type. Joseph does not utter a single word in all the Holy Scriptures. He is the strong, silent type. Benedict says, let us allow ourselves to be infected by St. Joseph's silence. We need it greatly in a world that is often too noisy, that does not favor meditation or listening to the voice of God. Let us allow ourselves to be infected by the silence of St. Joseph." What does scripture tell us about St. Joseph? When Jesus's mother, Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing that Joseph knows for sure, the child is not his. He is a chaste and righteous man. And he knows that he has not had any marital relations with Mary, so the baby cannot be his some commentators have referred to the Virgin Mary as an unwed teenage mother. That is so wrong. Saying that Mary conceived Christ out of wedlock is absolute blasphemy. In ancient Judaism, betrothal was a binding marital contract. It says in Matthew 119, her husband, Joseph, her husband, Joseph. St. Gregory of Nazianzus in 390 AD, he's known as Gregory the theologian. He was the 4th century Archbishop of Constantinople. He said, will you that I describe Joseph in one word? He was her husband. And what more need I say? He was her husband. So also, speaking of the glorious St. Joseph, virtually say all that can be said when we repeat the words of the evangelist. Joseph, the husband, Of Mary. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace and planned to dismiss her quietly. Now, Leviticus 20, verse 10 says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Joseph knew that law. He knew it well. Joseph was very long-suffering, If we look that word up in the dictionary, it says having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. Joseph was certainly long suffering. He had the virtue of patience, great patience. He is betrothed, which was a legal binding marital contract. And we see paintings of the betrothal of Mary and Joseph. Look at these old paintings. Of the two of them getting betrothed, there's the high priest looking over Joseph with his rod, with his white lilies, chastity, Mary putting her finger out for the ring, the high priest binding their hands. It's a legal binding marital contract at this point. It is a forever contract at this point. And there they are at Assisi, Italy. And here's Raphael. And here, uh, Perugia, the cathedral in the Umbria region in central Italy, claims to have Mary's wedding ring. Betrothal was first, and then marriage followed later. Betrothal always came first for the ancient Jews. Then the groom would go prepare a place for his bride at his father's house that was called an insula. The whole family lived there. And we know about it in John 14. It says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So this is actually in Capernaum, this is what an insula looked like, the son would go and build a room onto his father's house for his new bride after the betrothal. And only the father would know the day or the hour, only the father would know the day or hour when he would send his son back to get his betrothed bride. And then a wedding party of the son's friends would be formed, and they would accompany the groom through the narrow streets at night, bearing torches of light. And the groom would wear a crown and splendid clothing. And the bride was never told exactly when this might be. So she always had to be ready. Always ready for the bridegroom, because only the father knew the day or the hour he would send his son. So The bride had to be prepared at a moment's notice and other young virgins waited with her. You could imagine their conversations waiting and sometimes they got sleepy waiting for the bridegroom but they had to be ready when the bridegroom comes. She would need to have a lit oil lamp in her window to show her groom where she was staying. And so those the parable of the 10 virgins, we see that five were wise and had oil in their lamps, they were ready and five were foolish. And when the bridegroom came, five were let in, and five had to go back to town for oil. One night that groom would come, and that groom would blow a loud shofar, and the bride would be carried away to the father's house where he had prepared a place for her. And that would signify the start of the Jewish wedding, the seven-day wedding banqueting feast where the whole town would be invited because a new creation was beginning. You see the hoopah and the new creation, a new family. Mary was a little different because she's not so average either. Mary was intentional about her perpetual virginity Mary was born of a supernatural conception. We know from the Proto-Evangelium of James, a document found in Syria in the second century, written in Greek. It's a second century infancy narrative that tells the early church a lot about this time. And it tells it the miraculous conception of the Virgin Mary and her upbringing and marriage to Joseph and the journey of the holy couple to Bethlehem the birth of Jesus, and some of the events immediately following. This document is the earliest surviving assertion of the perpetual virginity of Mary, meaning that her virginity, not just prior to the birth of Jesus, but during and afterwards, it became a widely influential source for Christian doctrine regarding Mary And it's where we know the names of her parents, Joachim and Anna. They were old and they were childless. Joachim wanted to go one more time to pray, to ask the Lord. And he wanted, he was calling in his prayer time, he was calling to mind the patriarch Abraham and how in his very final days, in his last days, when he was very old, God gave him a son, Isaac. Could God do that for him and his wife? Joachim was exceedingly grieved and did not come into the presence of his wife, but retired to the desert where he pitched a tent and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights to beg of the Lord one last time. And an angel of the Lord went down to him, saying, Joachim, Joachim, the Lord God hath heard thy prayer. Go down hence, for behold, thy wife Anna shall conceive. Well, you can imagine the excitement for Joachim. And he, he will go and tell Anne, he will go and tell her what the angel said. In the meantime, Anna was also mourning and lamenting and saying, I shall bewail my childlessness. And gazing up toward the heaven, she saw a sparrow's nest in the laurel tree. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by saying, Anna, Anna, the Lord hath heard thy prayer. And thou shalt conceive, and shall bring forth, and thy seed shall be spoken of in all the world. And Anna said, As the Lord my God lives, if I beget either a male or female, I will bring it as a gift to the Lord my God, and it shall minister to him in holy things all the days of its life. And so the couple meet up again and share with each other what the Lord has said to each of them, the angel of the Lord. And they come together in a singular act of God's grace in their marriage bed. And we call it an Immaculate Conception. And it's what St. Bernadette Subaru was told by Mary at Lourdes. Her title, I am the Immaculate Conception. Tell them, I am the Immaculate Conception. (laughs) And so in a singular act of God's grace, Mary was conceived by this old childless couple. And Joachim and Anna did not forget Anna's promise to the Lord. So at around age three, when she was weaned, they took Mary to the temple to be in service to the Lord. This is reminiscent of Hannah in the Old Testament. And Anna would be her, proto, her the antitype uh, in the new. They loved her so much, Joachim and Anna loved Mary, this beautiful child. They prayed the little Mary would go for their plan of her being dedicated in service to the temple of the Lord. Scripture and Jewish tradition record that there were commissioned young virgins associated with the temple in Jerusalem. And the Venerable Anne Emmerich, uh, she was a German Augustinian nun. She began to experience ecstasies as a result of spiritual favors receiving the stigmata in 1813, she was confined to her bed, surviving an extended time on only Eucharist and water. And she had visions about this. In private revelation, she writes, the virgins employed themselves with embroidery and other forms of decoration of carpets and vestments, and also with the cleaning of these vestments and of the vessels used in the temple. The virgins had little cells from which they could see into the temple, and here they prayed and meditated. When these virgins were grown up, they were given in marriage. Their parents, in dedicating them to the temple, had offered them entirely to God. And the devout and more spiritual Israelites had for a long time had a secret presentiment that the marriage of one of these virgins would one day contribute to the coming of the promised Messiah. Well, Joachim and Anna were that type of Israelite couple that knew, that knew if they dedicated Mary to the service of the Lord, God would bless this child who was so miraculously conceived. She's three years old. The time had come to take Mary to the temple. Joachim and Anna took her. We see these paintings the high priest received Mary. He kissed her and blessed her saying, the Lord has magnified your name in all generations. There was something special about this child, this Mary. In you, on the last of days, the Lord will manifest his redemption to the sons of Israel. And he set her down upon the third step of the altar. And the Lord God sent grace upon her. And Mary danced with her feet and all the house of Israel loved her. Oh, I just love these paintings. Most of them come uh, from overseas because they're hard to find. But this is Mary being dedicated to the temple at age three by Joachim and Anna. Her heart was captivated from the temple of the Lord. There is also a tradition that Mary was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies, as you remember, was the holiest place on the face of the earth because it was the place in the temple where the true presence of God resided, where the Ark of the Covenant was stored and kept. There's just one problem at the time of Mary. The problem is there was no Ark in the Holy of Holies. There was no true presence of God because the Ark was missing. There was no Ark at the time of Mary and Joseph. We know in 2 Maccabees 2 that Jeremiah had hid that ark. It says, Jeremiah said, The place where the ark is hidden shall remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things, and the glory of the Lord and the cloud will appear. Well, that time was now. That time was soon to come. Mary was in the temple. Mary was in the Holy of Holies. And little Mary was the Ark of a new covenant. The time of God's mercy had come. The Ark of God was back in the temple. But no contents are inside the Ark yet. This little three-year-old girl is waiting Mary was at home in the temple. She loved the temple. She was captivated by the temple. She danced going in because the ark was back. Remember how David danced before the ark of the Lord. The blessed virgin lived with other temple virgins in the temple under the care of pious matrons. Perhaps even the prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher that we hear about in Luke chapter 2. You remember the old Anna. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna at age 84 was old enough to have been there when Mary was a young girl. And at the moment when Mary's grown up and she came into the temple, Anna, at that moment, she came, she began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is at the the presentation, the dedication of Jesus. But Anna may have remembered Mary, the former little temple virgin. So Mary, little Mary, is on the steps going in to the Holy of Holies. Now, the Coptic tradition relates that Mary's father, Joachim, died when Mary was six years old. And they say, the Coptics say, that Anna died when Mary was eight years old. So at age 12, husbands were sought for the virgins at the temple so that they did not defile the sanctuary. So at age 12, a husband would be sought for Mary. But Mary had fully dedicated herself to the Lord, and she had set herself apart for him alone, God being her only bridegroom. The high priest had summoned good men of God. Righteous men from the house of David were gathered together. Messiah had to come from the house of David and from the tribe of Judah and from a virgin. This was another clue about a virgin woman in the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young virgin is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. From the Proto-Evangelium of St. James, we're told that when they had all assembled the men, they were taken away with the high priest with their rods and he taking the rods of all of them entered into the temple and prayed. And having ended his prayer, he took the rods and came out and gave them to them. But there was no sign in the rods. Now, remember in Numbers 17 in the Old Testament, the budding of Aaron's rod as a sign that he had the rightful authority to be the high priest of Israel. So this budding of the rods from a priestly lot was nothing new. So the high priest is doing this with the rods of the righteous men who will be betrothed to young Mary. Joseph, they took his rod last and behold, a dove came out of the rod and flew upon Joseph's head and the priest said to Joseph, you, you have been chosen by lot to take into your keeping the virgin of the Lord. So Joseph has been chosen, a dove lands on his rod, and flowers, uh, other reports say that flowers sprung from the rod, white flowers, lilies of chastity. Joseph, whenever is painted in art, you'll see him with his rod and the white flowers. Most men aren't looking to marry a woman who wanted to stay a perpetual virgin all her life. But remember, he's not your average Joe. And this young man would have the grace from the power of the Holy Spirit over him, that he would have that virtue, not only long-suffering and patience, but also chastity. Now, if we go back to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, we remember a woman. And just as an angel whispered into the ear of the first creation's bride, woman, Eve, a different angel will whisper into the ear of second creation's bride, a different woman, a new Eve, Mary. The first woman was intrigued at the idea of being her own God. The second woman was more interested in submitting to God's plan and totally trusting him. And her humble fiat has been remembered in every single generation since. If you want to be remembered well in history, be a yes girl and give a total fiat to humbly serve and trust God at whatever life station you are in right now. Even more hidden in the story is Saint Joseph. You can't talk about Joseph without talking about Mary and vice versa. We can't discuss Joseph without also discussing Mary because their mission is so one, so singular. A singular mission to bear Christ, Emmanuel, God with us to the world. And this is also every Christian's mission. Our singular mission is to be Christ bearers, to bear Christ into the world. Joseph and Mary were betrothed to be married. And Luke 1 verse 26, and in the sixth month of cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, The angel Gabriel was sent to God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of King David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now Joseph was from the royal line of King David. David was from the tribe of Judah, and all the Jews knew that Messiah would descend from this royal lineage. At the death of Jacob, who we know his name was changed to Israel. It said in 49.10 of Genesis that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. Joseph is from the tribe of Judah in the royal line of King David. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Every good Jew would have known that many times throughout history, God would send an angel and say, Do not be afraid. Oh no, (laughs) what's going to happen? Because usually, when God says that in the scriptures, a battle ensues. When God says, Do not be afraid, a battle was also involved. It was for Joshua, do not be terrified, do not be afraid, Joshua, do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. And to Gideon, an angel of the Lord tells Gideon, do not be afraid, Gideon. The Lord has chosen you to lead the Israelites in battle and defeat the numerous and powerful Midianites the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So the angel has come to Mary and said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. God saves
1: We'll return to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran in just a moment.
0: Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. And new this year, we've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gal Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in His mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com.
1: Hello, friends. Please take a look at SeekingTruth.net and find out how you can join as an individual online learner. Sharon's lectures are presented in a rich media format with audio, video, and an abundance of beautiful images which draw you into a deeper understanding of God's Word. In addition, part of the Seeking Truth mission is to build parish life through the communal study of God's Word. To encourage parishes to begin a Bible study, Seeking Truth offers its curriculum free of charge for parishes hosting a class. Please visit us at SeekingTruth.net where you can register to bring Seeking Truth to your own local parish. We now return to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran.
2: talk a minute about the fall of mankind. We have to know what happened before the fall and after the fall. After the fall, some curses were put on humans and, and on Satan. The curse to Satan was this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. One day, it is promised, this is the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, one day woman's offspring would crush the serpent's head. And from that day forward, man and woman were banished from eating from the tree of life because they have mortal sin on their soul and God is protecting them and sparing them from living forever with mortal sin on their soul. They'd be forever separated from God, but God had a plan. And Mary, woman, is part of that plan, as is Joseph. And so they're banished from paradise, Adam and Eve. But you notice this great chasm between them and God in Eden. But someone is on their side. Someone is also banished with them. Look at the arrow. I'll zoom in on it. That's right. Lucifer, Satan, the prince of the world, John calls him. And so man and woman are separated from God. This is no longer Eden. This is barrenness. They're on their own to survive in a world they do not know or understand. And they must have cried out to God. But there is that promise. There is that promise that the offspring of a virgin woman will crush Satan's head satan will have an eye on the womb of woman you can better believe he will we're told in revelation 12 verse 4 that the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child when she brought it forth could this be the one that will crush his head so god will have to outwit satan and we'll see who wins at the long game who's more long-suffering This couple will be hidden in plain sight, and that's part of the mystery and part of the brilliance of God's plan, hidden in plain sight. The greatest battle of all times was about to ensue for Joseph and Mary, but do not be afraid. I will be with you. Trust me at all times. Back to Luke 1, this child will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? Do you see how intentional Mary was about her perpetual virginity? This is the one. This is the one that Satan has been waiting for. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Her son will be from the tribe Judah and from the royal line of King David of Israel. Check, check, check. And she is a virgin. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Do not be afraid. The Lord will be with you. We have a new antitype, a new Adam and a new Eve. There's someone waiting and watching who would rather not have his head crushed, especially by a young virgin woman that he has great enmity for, great hatred for. Joseph, Joseph has his work cut out for him, a great battle. The forces of evil are swirling all about them. Joseph did such a good job at defending and protecting the Holy Family that in 1870, Pope Pius IX declared St. Joseph to be the protector of the Catholic church and the defender of a new holy family, the church. Pope Francis recalled the 150th anniversary of the declaration of St. Joseph as patron of the universal church on December 8, 2020. Pope Francis proclaimed a year of St. Joseph from December 8, 2020 to December 8, 2021. In his apostolic letter, Patris Cordae, the Holy Father affirms it. It's titled, With a Father's Heart. And Pope Francis describes Saint Joseph as a beloved father, a tender, loving father, an obedient father, an accepting father, a father who is creatively courageous, a working father, a father in the shadows. And so the greatest battle of all times is about to ensue for Joseph and Mary, but be not afraid. I will be with you. Trust me. This holy family becomes the best example for us of an earthly trinity, a reflection of God, a bridegroom and a bride, one mystical body of chasteness from which the spirit of the living God will flow freely. How can this be since I am a virgin? Mary asks. Mary had consecrated herself to a lifelong perpetual virginity. I have no relations with a man. Mary was so intentional about her virginity. St. John Paul II says that she had every intention of remaining a virgin forever. She knew from a little girl in the temple when she would hear the Shema prayer every morning in Deuteronomy 6.5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. She had made that prayer. St. Joachim and St. Anne had had an immaculate conception, and by a singular act of God's grace, Mary was conceived full of grace with no stain of original sin. Hail Mary full of grace, the angel says. The Lord is with you. karakatomene in the Greek. It's a perfect passive participle. This action happened in the past, but it continues to have its effects in the present and will remain in the future. Mary is forever full of grace. God had chosen Mary since before the beginning of time, before he laid the foundation of the earth, to be full of grace, past, present, and future. She was set apart solely for the Lord's purpose and design in her own holy family, conceived without original sin for a time such as this, the new Eve. We see like Fra Angelico, these artists knew, they saw the connection between the old Eve and the fall and the new Eve, the new woman, not Lucifer whispering in her ear, but Gabriel in the Annunciation, God was doing something new. Everything that Eve had done, Mary would undo And that's why she's called the Entire of Knots, one of the favorite images and titles of Pope Francis, Mary, the Entire of Knots. This pure Old Testament family of Joachim, Anna, and Mary, they modeled the Trinity on earth in the Old Testament. But the antitype is always greater. And this purest New Testament family will model a reflection of the New Covenant earthly Trinity, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. These two chaste, celibate virgin parents model the purest love for God and for each other. And the father is well pleased. And the angel said to Mary in reply, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God, to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit." This was something new in the New Testament. The Greek word for overshadow, episkiesu, the glory cloud that overshadowed Mary. The cloud, I love these paintings that show the cloud that overshadowed Mary, the cloud of the spirit of the living God overshadowing her. In the Old Testament, we see this just on very rare occasions, the cloud by day, that stayed over the meeting place, the fire, column of fire by night, but also the cloud at the tent of the meeting where Moses would intimately meet God. It tells us in Exodus 33, 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend when the glory cloud would come. Exodus 40, 34, the the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so much that Moses had to come outside and the whole camp, the whole camp knew the glory cloud was there filling the tent of the meeting. Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud covered or overshadowed the tabernacle of the meeting, the tent of the meeting, episkiesu. That's the Greek word, the same word used for Mary. Just as the cloud descended upon Mary and the glory of the Lord filled her womb and became there an intimate meeting place for her and God. Mary became a new ark of a new covenant containing the true presence of God within her body. Now, that Old Testament ark was greatly revered as the true presence of God on the earth. And in Leviticus 10, Nabdab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans. They put fire in them. They placed incense and offered strange fire, uncensored fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. And the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And the two of them died before the Lord two dead nephews of Moses showed all the people in the camp that one must always respect and reverence the Ark of the Covenant. Bringing that Ark into the Promised Land, they would carry it long poles. They never, ever, ever, ever wanted to touch the Ark. They must have complete and utter reverence for the Ark. One time when David was bringing the Ark of the covenant into Jerusalem, coming towards Jerusalem. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, one of David's men. God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark. They were just, uh, the ark was on a cart and they hit like a, a pothole and Uzzah just reached out to steady the ark so it wouldn't fall. And he was instantly struck dead because he touched the ark of God. He died there on the spot beside the ark of the Lord. So they learned very quickly, do not touch the ark, only give great and utter reverence to the ark. David was afraid of the Lord that day when his man Uzzah was struck dead. He said, how can it be that the ark of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. Jerusalem instead David took it to the house of Obed-edom the Gittite the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-edom for 3 months and the Lord blessed Obed-edom and all his household so David needed some time of reflection to recollect the reference of this ark he stays there 3 months today that's Ankarim, israel where david's ark rested at the house of obededom for 3 months this is the same exact location where Mary arose and went with haste to the foothills, to the hill country, to this city of Judah. It's Ann Karim. She ran to the house of Zechariah where Mary was greeted by her kinswoman, Elizabeth. And it's the exact same spot where David stayed in Obed-Edom with the Ark of the Covenant for three months. Mary, this new Ark of a new covenant, will stay with Elizabeth for three months, the final three months of her pregnancy with John the Baptist. At that location, David said, how can the Ark of the Lord come into my care? And Elizabeth said to to Mary, why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me, comes into my care? David begged the Lord to allow him to build a temple. For the ark, the Lord refused David. He had too much blood on his hands, but he promised your son, David, your son Solomon will build the first temple where the ark can be housed in Jerusalem. And so the priest then, when Solomon built that beautiful temple, the priest brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its resting place in the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies of that temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And Solomon prayed and dedicated the temple of the Lord and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, so much so that all the priests had to exit. They couldn't breathe. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Here, the divine presence was manifest on earth. And here the nation of Israel would gather for three required feast days every year to see and be seen by the face of God, the true presence of God resting in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. When Gabriel appeared to Mary and Mary consented to God's word, she became that new tent of the meeting, that new Ark of the Covenant. God's glory cloud overshadowed and filled her. She is so full of the cloud of the Holy Spirit, her divine spouse, that no one, no one will be able to enter her ever, ever, ever. Everybody knows you can't enter the tabernacle when it's full of God's glory. Everybody knows that you don't touch the ark. Mary was the new ark. Joseph understood that and they are both showered with grace and the Holy Spirit is with them and they are able to remain chaste for their entire lives as an offering to God. Joseph had been praying for the redemption of Israel, for Messiah to come, for a virgin to be with child and now he has been given to Mary, God's gift of protection. The virgin was his new wife, and they were in danger from the moment she conceived. Not only was she the tent of the meeting, she was also a new ark of a new covenant. What was inside the old ark? Hebrews three nine three five tells us there was manna, bread from heaven. There were the tablets of the old covenant, the law. And there was Aaron's budded rod of godly priestly authority. Mary, this new ark, would be carrying all those same things. The true presence of God, the manna, yes, Jesus, the bread of life. Aaron's rod, yes, Jesus, the eternal high priest. The tablets of the covenant, yes, the new covenant of love and the Holy Spirit. And Chase Saint Joseph will not... Enter the tabernacle of the meeting or touch the ark because the cloud rested upon her and the glory of the Lord filled her. And she became the new tabernacle, the new tent of the meeting, the new ark of the covenant, a new meeting place between God and man. And Joseph from the house of David would lay down his entire life to defend that ark, Mary, and the contents of that ark, Jesus, until the day he would die. And Joseph will not touch the Ark ever. He and Mary are perpetual virgins that will be a very holy family and almost a perfect earthly reflection of the heavenly Trinity. But think back before Joseph knew all this and what it was like for him. Let your imagination go to that. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Joseph knew the Torah. He knew it well. He was righteous. He was just. He knows that in Deuteronomy 22, 23 to 24, it says, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones the young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Had Mary been with another man, she's pregnant. But he knows her, he knows her purity, he knows her character. It didn't add up. She was an intentional virgin immediately following her consent, her deepest fiat, her deepest yes, Mary sent out and went with haste to the Judean town in the hill country. A woman traveling alone through the hill country of Judea, she must have been in great danger. Joseph knew Torah. He also knew it said this in Deuteronomy 22, 25 to 28, if in the open country where she was going, the foothills of Judea, if in the Open country, a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who shall lie shall die, who lie with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. Because he met her in the open country. And though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. Joseph might have imagined, is that what happened? Could Mary have been overcome on the road, traveling to see Elizabeth in the foothills of Judea, and no one heard her cry? But I found these old paintings, and they made me ponder, because this is the visitation scene, having Joseph accompany Mary, his betrothed, to visit Elizabeth, having Joseph go with her early on to protect her to guard her, to guide her. There's Zachariah on one side and Joseph on the other. Perhaps Joseph accompanied Mary on the visitation to Elizabeth. That's what these paintings imagine. You know, they didn't have a telephone. They didn't have ways of communicating to say they were coming. Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed. Elizabeth calls Mary blessed. There are only two blessed women in the entire Old Testament. One of them is in the book of Judges. Her name is Jael. She was the heroine who drove a tent peg through the skull of a sleeping General Sisera. She helped deliver Israel from the troops of King Jabin of Cana. And Judge Deborah had prophetically told Baruch that Barak, that Israel would be saved by the hand of a woman. Now, Jael showed Barak that what she had done and in judges five twenty four we hear most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water, she gave him milk, she brought him curds in a lordly bowl, she put her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet, and she struck Sisera a blow. Jael crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. He sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet. And at her feet, he sank, he fell where he sank, there he fell dead. (laughs) So perish all your enemies, O Lord, but may your friends be like the sun as it rises in the might and the land had rest for 40 years. Jael had saved Israel from perishing. Blessed be Jael. She is a head crusher. She's a head-crushing woman, one of the two blessings in the Old Testament. There's only one other, one other in the entire Old Testament who is called blessed. Her name is Judith. She was a beautiful widow, and Holfernes, the chief general of the Assyrian army, sent for her. Judith came in and lay down. Holfernes' heart was ravished with her, and his passion was aroused. For he had been waiting for an opportunity to seduce Judith from the day he first saw her. So Holfernes said to her, Have a drink with us and be merry. And Judith said, I will gladly drink, my lord, because today is the greatest day of my whole life. Then she took what her maid had prepared and ate and drank before him. Holfernes was greatly pleased with her and drank a great quantity of wine much more than he had ever drunk in any one day since he was born. Judith was left alone in the tent with Holfernes, stretched out on his bed, for he was drunk. Then Judith, standing beside his bed, said in her heart, O Lord God of all might, look in this hour on the work of my hands for the exaltation of Jerusalem. Now indeed is the time to help your heritage and to carry out my design to destroy the enemies who have risen up against us. She went to the door bedpost of Holverness's head. She took down his sword that hung there. She came close to his bed, took hold of the hair of his head and said, give me strength today, O Lord God of Israel. Then she struck his neck twice with all her might and cut off his head. Next, she rolled his body off the bed and pulled down the canopy from the post. Soon afterwards, she went out and gave Holfernes' head to her maid, who placed it in her food bait. Then she said in a loud voice, praise God, O oh, praise him. Praise God, who has not withdrawn his mercy from the house of Israel, but has destroyed our enemies by my hand this very night. Then she pulled the head out of the bag and showed it to them and said, "See here, the head of Holfernes, the commander of the Assyrian army, and here is the canopy beneath which he lay in his drunken stupor. The Lord has struck him down by the hand of a woman. And blessed are you in every tent of Judah. Only one blessed in the entire New Testament, Mary." Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, the final head crushing woman, the one who will save not only Israel, but the entire world. And in the church of the visitation at Anki Israel, in those foothills of Judea, you will see Mary flanked by Jael on one side and Judith on the other, the three head crushing women of scripture. Joseph will be right at her side until his death. Just like in the Old Testament, there was a Joseph with a dream coat, with a many multicolored coat. He also was a dreamer. In the New Testament, Joseph is also a dreamer. Joseph will have four important dreams where angels appear to him. Just as he had resolved to quietly divorce Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her. Now they are called in Luke 2 to go for a census. Mary is swollen with child, and a decree has gone out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. And the first enrollment was for Joseph to go from Galilee to From the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was in David's royal lineage. And to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, you remember there was no room in the inn. And Mary is very close to delivering the child. And actually, what a blessing that was. Because Joseph and Mary are in a cave all alone when the light of the world enters the darkness, pierces the darkness. Can you imagine the glow in that cave, the brilliant light? Everyone would have known this child is supernatural. This child is different. There's something different about this kid. This being in a cave helps them stay hidden in plain sight and it gives both of them confidence that this is no ordinary child. He's not your average Joe, she's not your average Mary, and this child is not your average baby. This child is the light of the world, and the shepherds are the first to come and see him, Shepherds who the world doesn't esteem, shepherds who are out of covenant, who are dirty, who can't do all the laws to clean themselves are called in first when the sky opens and the angel says glory to God in the highest and tells them they will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Can you imagine these humble shepherds come to visit Mary and Joseph in the middle of the night who have just given birth to the light of the world? also kings from far off lands have seen a star in the sky like they've never seen before a sign the heavens were telling the glory of god and and for months they've been following this star and they arrive and pay homage Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to the child of Mary and Joseph. This had to affirm for Mary and Joseph, this child was special. Kings from other nations have come to worship, to adore, to pay homage. Joseph is a dreamer, and he will have another dream. After the wise men left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And so Joseph has to get Mary up in the middle of the night and say, we must go. He trusts the angel's dream. He gets Mary out of harm's way with Jesus. And they travel to a place where most (laughs) Israelites don't want to go back to Egypt. And Joseph is called to take Mary and the child and journey to Egypt in the middle of the desert, a newborn child who's nursing, dehydration, they need, they need refuge, <laughs> they're fleeing for their lives, across a great expanse of desert, I love these paintings, there's Joseph laying on the ground and giving Mary the lap of the sphinx, and you see Jesus just bl- glowing brightly again, the light of the world, And they are taken back to Egypt, the first immigrants. They're back to where no Israelite ever wanted to go again. And they see the Egyptian people and they see the idolatry and they don't speak the language. And they're carried off to a foreign land, trusting only in each other and in Almighty God. In the meantime, back in Bethlehem, other males, age three and under, are being slaughtered at the hand of Herod the Great's soldiers, babies ripped from the hands of their mothers, the first holy innocents, the first ones to give their life in protection of Jesus. And Mary and Joseph are far, far away. And Joseph is obedient and protecting the holy family. And then, so that a messianic prophecy might be fulfilled, It's time to go back to Israel. And we hear Hosea 11.1, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Joseph has another dream. It's time to go back home. And the Holy Family must journey back, taking the, the, the route back to Israel. When they get there, Joseph heard that Archelaus is reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there. Archelaus had a far harsher reputation than his father, Herod the Great. Joseph's afraid to go there. He is warned again in a dream and he withdraws to the district of Galilee. And he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be spoken by the prophets and it might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now this looks like just a normal family. A new family has moved in to Nazareth they have a child, they're married, they are hidden in plain sight, a brilliant protection again against the evil one, a simple, quiet life hidden in Nazareth. And Joseph there in the workshop, look at uh, little Jesus playing with three nails, his shadow is a cross, just a foreshadowing of what is to come. But how wonderful those years must have been in the workshop, learning a trade, Jesus and Joseph talking father to son, the whole family. This In this painting, Jesus gets a sliver in his hand and Joseph is holding his hand and Mary is kissing him. And there's blood dripping from the wound on his hand down to his foot. And there's a lot of symbolism in this picture. There's John the Baptist with a bowl of water, his cousin, who would be the forerunner before him and would baptize a baptism of repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah and the advent of Jesus. How wonderful those years must have been growing up in Nazareth, going to get water with his mother at the well. The well is still there in Nazareth, learning Torah from Joseph the Just, his father instructing him in the way of the Lord, teaching him the scriptures. Mary would have been so familiar growing up in the temple herself hearing Torah read day and night teaching Jesus because when Jesus was 12 and he was lost we know right where he went because the true presence of God belongs in the temple when he's 12 he knew those scriptures very well that his parents had taught him and beyond that they were astonished at all he knew How is it, Jesus said, that you sought after me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Just as Mary was captivated by the temple when she was a little girl, Jesus too is captivated. He's the contents of the ark. He is captivated by the temple of the Lord. It's where his heart rests. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And the elders and the wise Pharisees and scribes were astonished at all he knew. And he continued to grow in wisdom, in stature, in obedience to his father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary. Now, when did St. Joseph die? We know that he was not there at Jesus's first miracle in the book of John. He was not in attendance at the wedding at Cana. We know he was not at the foot of the cross because John uh, tells us Jesus gives his mother over to the care of John the Apostle. So Joseph died somewhere before Jesus' public ministry and Joseph is the patron saint of a happy death. Why is that? Can you imagine dying flanked on one side by Jesus Christ and on the other side by the Virgin Mary? What a happy death this must have been in the company of Jesus and Mary. And we pray in the hail, Mary, be with us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. To be flanked by these two would have been a very, very happy death. There's no burial site for St. Joseph. There are no relics ever found of St. Joseph. St. Francis de Sales wondered about this too. And he wrote about the death of Joseph. St. Francis de Sales says this, How could we doubt that our Lord raised glorious St. Joseph up into heaven, body and soul? So Francis is assuming an assumption of Joseph, body and soul to heaven. DeSales continues, for he had the honor and grace of carrying him, baby Jesus, so often in his blessed arms, arms in which our Lord took so much pleasure. St. Joseph is therefore in heaven body and soul without a doubt, says St. Francis de Sales. I tend to agree with him. Joseph still would have had to wait for the harrowing of Hades, the harrowing of Sheol on Holy Saturday when Jesus freed the imprisoned spirits, and then uh, possibly a resurrection of his body and soul after Jesus had opened a way back to the Father. This is a beautiful painting of Joseph getting his crown in heaven. Uh, It's being put on his head by glorified Jesus, who is also in heaven. You notice Jesus is carrying his cross, his instrument of martyrdom. Uh, And so this would be after Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Joseph also is assumed body and soul into heaven and given his crown. Now, St. Therese of Jesus, who of course is um, Teresa of Avila, she was a Reformed Carmelite in Avila, Spain. She loved St. Joseph. And she said this of him, we can have recourse to many saints as our intercessors, but go especially to St. Joseph. I have never known anyone who honored St. Joseph by particular services who did not in advance greatly in virtue. For he helps in a special way those souls who recommend themselves to him, Saint Tres of Avila. So, Saint Joseph was the silent saint who spoke loudly by his acts of great love. He was definitely not your average Joe. Saint Joseph. for us. I wondered if you friends might pray with me the Litany of St. Joseph. It'll come up on the screen. I'll pray the first part, and please, you pray the second part. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. God, our Father in heaven. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world. God, the Holy Spirit. Holy Trinity, one God. Holy Mary. Saint Joseph. Noble son of the house of David. Light of patriarchs, husband of the mother of God, guardian of the Virgin, foster father of the Son of God, faithful guardian of Christ, head of the Holy Family, Joseph, chaste and just, Joseph, prudent and brave, Joseph, obedient and loyal, pattern of patience, lover of poverty, model of workers, example to parents, guardian of virgins, pillar of family life, comfort of the troubled, hope of the sick. Patron of the dying, terror of evil spirits, protector of the church. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. God made him master of his household. Let us pray. O God, who in your inexpressible providence were pleased to choose Saint Joseph as spouse of the most holy mother of your son. Grant, we pray, that we who revere him as our protector on earth may be worthy of his heavenly intercession, through Christ, our Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us for Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. For more information, please go to seekingtruth.net.